Welcome back to the Notaku Anime Chat, where your Onitans and Onetans are seriously off limits. I'm your host, Satsukin, joined by the one who is perpetually lost in anime, Guardian Enzo. Hey, how are you doing? And so today we're going to finally revive the podcast. We'll kind of go through some of the new format stuff that we're thinking and uh, introduce the new show to you guys, basically. And from there, you know, we'll talk about some news, some changes, and eventually we'll get into why we're doing this crazy, bizarre experience all over again. So let's get into it. Okay, so um, as I mentioned earlier, we are going to kind of do a new show. And one of the sections that we're going to start off with is basically what we're watching every week. Uh, in this section, we'll both talk about, you know, something that we feel is notable to talk about. We obviously can't mention everything that we're watching because I don't know about Guardian Enzo, but I watch a lot of anime and you guys all don't need to know about every single thing I watch down to the minute. So um, we'll go with that. And in fact, just to kind of put Guardian Enzo in the hot seat, I'm going to kick it over to you, uh, okay. Guardian Enzo. You start with something notable that you're watching these days. Well, let me first say it would take a lot less time to list everything I'm watching now than it would have a couple of years ago. But uh, something notable that I'm watching right now, um, boy, uh, if, if we're not going to count Great Pretender, which is on hiatus at Netflix, I'm going to say Major Second Season 2, which is by far my favorite of the current shows I'm watching. I love major, I love sports anime, uh, and, uh, you know, I really like, this is, this is a very classic sports anime in, in old school by an old school mangaka with a great director in Watanabe Shinichiro, uh, oh, excuse me, not Watanabe Shinichiro, Watanabe Ayumu, excuse me, um, but what makes this one kind of interesting and different is the, is the main character is, is very much, uh, atypical for major his father was the classic sports anime pro tag this kid is very humble very self-effacing um in baseball terms he's a grinder he doesn't win by flash but he wins by supporting his teammates and by playing the game in a smart way which i think makes a very interesting change to see an author who had a huge success for over 20 years doing doing things a certain way completely changed direction with the way he's doing the sequel. So I'm enjoying that aspect of it. Awesome. Awesome. When you mentioned Shinichiro Watanabe, I was just, I got excited for a second. Yeah. Well, I, 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 if you ask me in the last 10 years, the other Watanabe, who I think I'm doing an injustice, even using that, but uh, Ayumu has actually done more good anime in the last decade than Shinichiro has, in my opinion. Although I'll, I would never, I would never, uh, dismiss Shinichiro's contributions historically. He's one of the greatest of all time. But, you know, Terror and Resonance and Carolyn Tuesday do not exactly uh, do not exactly instill a lot of confidence on his recent work. Although I'll give you a space dandy, especially season two. Yes, I actually agree with you. And for the anime viewers, well, this is this is our hot takes and they start right here, right now. So get comfortable. <laughs> okay. Yeah, why spare uh, the opinions, right? We're here to give our opinions, so let's let's go all out. Yep, yep. So on my end, um, the show that I want to talk about is ReZero, um, season two. And mm. um, 
the reason I'm enjoying that one and the reason I want to highlight that one is because it is really bringing me back to a moment where I haven't been in a long time, where I'm actually exceedingly excited for a show to come out every week. And the reason for that is ReZero is unpredictable. It's actually a sequel that's delivering on a lot of the promise that the first series kind of developed and established. And I know, Guardian Enzo, you don't like light novel adaptations, but that kind of plays into why I love this show. Mm. Um, It's a light novel adaptation that goes counter to all the tropes that we kind of associate with light novels or light novel adaptations uh, that make them kind of the bottom of the barrel in terms of the anime industry. So ReZero actually, you know, even though it's an isekai show, it explores themes that I think every one of those shows should. And then it's also like obviously very dark and it's it's got a very unpredictable plot and it's very character focused. So it's been nice after uh, if you've ever followed um, some of my blogging stuff on animeevo.net. Uh, for any of the viewers there, you'll notice that over the last two or three years, I've been disappointed and disappointed and disappointed with sequels. So it's nice to finally get one that actually is good. Well, I'm happy for you. And of course, the show I picked is a sequel too. And this this is a season of sequels, to be sure. Um, all of the big all of the big discussion shows this year are this season are pretty much all sequels. Um, and uh, Ray Zero specifically, you know, I I got through. I tried about seven or eight episodes of the first season, and I really tried to, I really tried to embrace it. Um, the same as I did with uh, Yahadi, uh, the same thing, which is another big name sequel this season. Yes, and I tried really, really hard, and I just, it just didn't happen. So you can't force it. You know, you can't force it. No, you definitely can't. And one of the things that I've learned um, as I've grown older and hopefully wiser is that it's okay if the anime that you love isn't vibing with like somebody else that you really like as a person or that you really respect. Um, A lot of how we consume media and enjoy media is dependent on our personal life experiences, our tastes, our biases. And so... um, the fact that you know you don't like a show that's very popular, uh, trust me, man, I've got so many hot takes. Just mention the word Evangelion and let me go off on how much I don't appreciate that franchise. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing about Evangelion is you don't get a lot of neutrality with that show. It tends to elicit strong feelings one way or the other. Um you know, I I love I love Eva, but I'm the first to concede that it's an incredibly bloated franchise that's probably gone on for a lot longer than it should have. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you're right. We, our 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 worldview shapes our perspective as a fan, and that's something that's that's always going to be true. I would argue, maybe this is a topic we'll talk more about in future weeks, but. I would argue that anime used to be a great reflection of that because of how much genre and tonal diversity it had. And I think that's become less true, unfortunately, in the last couple of years, as as the focus of the medium has gotten narrower and narrower, it's gotten harder and harder to embrace all of those different sorts of fans because a lot of them have been left out in the cold. 
Um, and that sense of being left out in the cold, when you do get a show that you love, the way you love Ray Zero, the way I love Major, that makes it all the more special because you feel like you're literally being embraced, you know, um, welcomed back into the fold. So, uh, I, you know, that's, that's a big thing for me to be in a position where I really, really, really appreciate when I find an anime now that, that meshes with me because honestly, it seems to be happening less and less often. So, um, and this is not a golden era for sports era anime to begin with, although you still get your couple of sports anime a year, they still happen. But, um, so yeah, um, I'm happy whenever someone I like is happy. That's my viewpoint. And even if I don't quite get the, the love for a show, at least, you know, I can appreciate that it's, that it's making people happy as this one clearly is. So, yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. And I have to say, I, enjoy the fact that you're leaving small seeds here and there for things that <laughs> we will most undoubtedly be talking about in the future. Yes. Um, one thing that I do want to quick talk about is, you know, the fact that, as you mentioned, it's nice to, with the way the world is kind of on fire right now with, you know, the pandemic. And even though some countries are kind of coming out of it, it's nice to have nice things. So mm. that's a, a positive note to end on, despite, you know, uh, the the wealth of ne- negativity that we could probably look at with terms of like anime industry quality um, and all that other stuff. Uh, yeah, and it was rough too, because as anime production really, this is not intended to be a segue, but it could be. But as the anime production really slowed to a crawl, it came at a time when people most desperately needed the distraction. So you had that taken away from you right at the moment when you most needed something to cheer you up and take your mind off of more serious matters. So when people dismiss that kind of thing and say, oh, sports is not important. Anime is not important. Who cares if there's no English Premier League? Who cares if there's no Major League Baseball? Well, it's, it, it is important because it may be actually even more important at the time when those things are taken away. That's the real tragedy of it. Because those are the moments when you most desperately need something to lift your spirits, and that too is gone. It, it's kind of a double whammy, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I like the idea of a segue. So to kind of close off this discussion, the one thing I wanted to kind of state and kind of ask you as well, at least for me, even though you know a lot of our anime and a lot of our entertainment got lost in the in the pandemic for various reasons that I think we'll definitely talk about as we get into the next segment. Um, But I at least found myself going back and watching shows that I haven't seen in years. Me too. And really kind of rediscovering my love of uh, the medium and anime. And one of the reasons why I think this podcast exists right now is because my fandom has been renewed by that. So um, I'll, I'll kind of mention a series that, uh, or two series that I watched that really kind of reinvigorated me. And then um, I'll kick it over to you and ask what you've been potentially rewatching and then we'll kind of mm. end that segment. So one of the shows that I watched uh, recently uh, was Monster. I rewatched that mm. one. Um, and I honestly forgot how intricate and good it is it's it's got some weird political messaging that i never detected as a teenager but 
it it was definitely just the intricate plot work and the thrillingness and how long it was that was like really refreshing to see so it was nice to kind of see how and it was very different it was set in europe it was set in germany and you know it it features themes that i don't think we get this often so it was nice to kind of go back and watch that um so that's the one i'll talk about today but was there anything in particular that you watched or rewatched that you know stuck a chord with you? Well, actually, what I did because I was so starved for content uh, is I actually opened it up to my readers and and took a poll on the website and asked them what old shows uh, would you like stuff from before I started blogging, which was ten years ago now, two thousand ten. So stuff from pre two thousand ten. And it ended up getting framed around 2007, which was, you know, what I considered to be the greatest year in the history of, of anime. So I put up a bunch of shows and asked them to vote. And I ended up doing three shows that were a mix of what they picked and what I picked. So their pick was Bacano. Um, so I rewatched that and covered it on the Fantastic blog. series. It is. Sorry. And Fantastic. way, way better than Durarara, in my humble opinion. Just, just, I agree. Just to throw I it agree. out there. But really uh, a fun, uh, very interesting genre piece, you know, that that is a light novel adaptation, in fact, although it's from an era when light novels were arguably a little different than they are now. Like Boogie Pop is another example of that. Um, and then, of course, uh, Gurren Lagann was another one that got a lot of votes. And I hadn't seen that in a very long time. And that's been fun to rewatch and to blog about, to be honest. Parts of it feel a little dated, but it's still an incredibly fun uh, show that was a lot more politically and and just thematically intricate than you thought when it started. Uh, really? And, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, have you seen it? I've seen it. It was it was for the longest time. It was my favorite anime ever. Um, yeah. And I have not seen it in like. 10 years now. Yeah. So I think it's about time for me to go revisit that one. It's a good one to, it's a good one to blitz too. I mean, you can blow through it pretty quickly, although I've been pacing myself just because like I say, part of the reason I'm doing it is for material, but um, it, yeah, because you think it's going to be a certain show and random things happen. I guess we won't spoil in case anyone hasn't seen it yet, but things happen and this, the show goes off in different directions that, and this happens multiple times. Uh, so that's another one. And then the last one is Seire no Morabito, which is my favorite anime of all time, which was kind of a no brainer for me once I got on the 2007 scheme. Um, it is to me, literally the greatest anime ever made. Um, it's, it's an astonishingly beautiful anime visually. Uh, it looks great. Even 13 years later, it looks better than 95% of what's produced now. Um, incredible music. Um, just the, the, it's a personal story with an element of fantasy, but the fantasy supports the characters, not the other way around. It's, it's just, it's to me, that one is just, I, I lose all ability to be impartial. Um, it's fantastic. I love it beyond all measure. Um, so really those are the three, Bacano, Seire no Morebito and Ser and, uh, Gurren Those are the three I've, I've rewatched. A very, very strong selection. And from my perspective, having seen all three of them, um, highly recommend watching them. So um, we'll kind of end this segment with that. Okay. A positive note, because uh, 
yeah, you mentioned some of the strongest anime series that I've ever seen. So, mm. um, so that was that was a perfect perfect kind of closer to this. Awesome. So, with that said, let's move on to our next segment, cool. which I like to call the anime. All right, so as we kind of mentioned before, this is the anime news segment or uh, notable anime news segment at the very least. So this section is kind of new for our podcast. We've generally only done topical conversations before, but something I kind of want to add to the anime chat, Guardian Enzo, is um, some kind of news that will kind of inform the viewer because even myself listening to a lot of anime podcasts, watching anime YouTube channels and consuming anime, I actually don't read up on news very often. So the intention behind this segment is really to kind of like give our listeners the, uh, the quick hits or the highlights of what they should be kind of keeping an eye on. And, you know, these are kind of up to the host each week this week I'm doing it. So I pick these, but so if I missed anything, it's all my fault. Guardian Enzo is innocent <laughs> and do not bring any pitchforks towards him. That just keep that in mind for future reference listeners. That 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 rule should apply at all times. <laughs> okay, so um, let's get into the news then. So we'll be talking about a variety of different things, a lot of them related to COVID. And on that note, the first thing that I actually want to talk about is this story uh, over at Crunchyroll.com, written by Daryl Harding. Um, he, uh, and the title reads, ReZero Animation Director says TV anime production moved to home after episode 5. Animation director Naoki Hiramura, who worked on episode 5 of the current season of ReZero, uh, tweeted out last night about the current state of production for the TV anime series during the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic, mimicking the sentiment shared by a lot of the anime industry in Japan at the moment. The translation of his tweet reads, I worked on episode five of ReZero as an animation director. After this episode, I've been completely cooped up at home working on the series because of the coronavirus, and I'm still stuck indoors. And then Crunchy, uh, the article goes on to say that, you know, ReZero is still continuing and that, you know, viewers can see the first uh, of this work from home version starting next week right on Crunchyroll. So they're kind of plugging themselves and they're mentioning that, you know, don't get worried about the fact that, you know, this is happening. But I want to start with this story because obviously we'll be talking a lot about COVID and we've we've lost a lot of series. I think COVID completely obliterated uh, the last season. So Guardian Enzo, I kind of want to ask you what you think of this and what you think of anime being potentially produced for from home because it seems like COVID isn't going away anytime soon. Now, for, before we go on, what is this COVID you keep talking about? I've never heard of it. Uh, no, I'm just kidding, of course. Um, so uh, this, is, this is important. Um, I think when you look at the way anime is produced, and I'm certainly not an expert on that, but um, maybe if you stop 20 people at Grand Central Station, I'd, I'd know more than half of them, but I certainly don't consider them I, myself an expert. But the, the, the animation director portion of the exercise, I don't see any reason why that can't be done from home, really. 
Um, and a lot of the, a lot of that side of production can in fact be done in, in remotely and it, a, any sort of remote work has been a big taboo in Japan for a long time. They've been very slow to adapt to it. Um, but the, the, the COVID epidemic has actually sort of pushed the country in that direction for the first time. And I suppose if you want to look for silver linings, that might be one. Uh, in talking to people within the industry, the big, the big stumbling blocks as far as production as a result of COVID is the stuff that's a lot harder to do remotely, which would be one, the voice recordings, um, which that's been a challenge because they need professional studio environments in order to do professional, professional sounding voice recording. And in anime, unlike most Western animation, there's a big focus on having the actors together so that they can work off each other. So that's been a big, that's been a big delay. And the other thing is compositing, uh, has been something, um, you know, compositing, this is where you get into the technical side of it. That's a little beyond my ken, but uh, it basically combining the various visual elements, the CGI, the traditional, you know, the key animation, the in-betweens that's because that's a collaborative process to a large extent. I think in anime, that's been harder to do remotely as well, but we've seen the industry sort of recovering. Um, and I think one of the reasons why it's recovering, even as the country itself is sort of dealing with a second wave right now is that, they have been flexible and they have been uh, they have been working more from home environments and whatever can be done remotely, they've been doing remotely. Now, I was not aware of this situation specifically with Ray Zero until you mentioned it, but I think it's a great development. And if they do it and make it work, uh, and most importantly, if it proves to be cost effective, because as we know, budget is everything in anime, that may prove to be a big incentive for other other productions to follow suit to get to, to do more of it as we go forward because the pandemic itself is not going anywhere for a while unfortunately yeah for sure and i and i think you mentioned a very important aspect about japanese society in that they are very much very office centric in you know the way their society revolves and the way you know life there revolves and you're it's handle. all about being at work and don't stuff forget, like that. Yeah, don't forget and, getting your Hanko stamp. That's That's been sorry? a big stumbling block is people having to go into the office mm. because if they don't go into the office, they can't get their supervisor to stamp the Hanko on their, on their you know, to, to show that they did their work or that they showed up for work. You know, it's that's been a big frustration even for me in my own job, um, having to go into the office during the summer when uh, when the, when the operation itself was shut down because they wanted people to get their Hanko stamp, um, which is which is a, as classically Japanese uh, a conundrum I think as you'll ever find, um, and I don't know of any other country in the world really that even still uses the Hanko stamps. China has certainly gotten rid of them, which is another kanji country. Um, the whole idea behind the Hanko originally really was because with kanji, you don't have a signature per se. Um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, but you're right. Culturally speaking, this is a big hill for Japan to climb. It is a very office centric culture. Uh, and, and, but, you know, current events make demands of us. They require us 
to adapt. And if anime is able to adapt in this way, I think it has many structural problems, but that would be a positive sign for the industry as a whole, for sure. And it's nice to see some strides being made. I think there's still a long way to go, but it's nice to see some strides being made. For sure. Um, and for view, uh, for the listeners who are tuning in for the first time, Guardian Enzo currently lives in Japan. So that perspective is something I am definitely curious about. I'm going to be leveraging very often in this podcast. So, uh, yes, that is very, very interesting to note. I had actually not heard about the fact that they literally stamped a, a lot of jobs, yeah, a lot of jobs. It seems like. Yep. Wow, that's crazy. I haven't had an attendance uh, stamp since uh, high yep. school. And I think even then I didn't get most of them. So I would be a complete failure in Japan. Uh, I am very irregular in how I live my life and do things. So, uh, yeah, for all those people that are excited about Japan, and it is a fantastic place. It creates some of the best media in our time, I think. Uh, they're definitely backwards in some ways and i think it's interesting to see that covid and the pandemic it's brought a lot of pain and death and sorrow in the world but i think it's also pushing at least it seems the anime industry i hope to adapt yeah and evolve i hope yep yep yeah and the one thing that i'm a, a little worried about is whether you know the the quality of the shows will continue to remain uh the same uh, I, I know in the in the spring, uh, that entire season basically just either got cancels or delays for the shows. So I think they're past the point where they can do that without completely cratering everything. I mean, there were a couple of spring shows that managed to to to, to run through their broadcasts, but it's both mostly because they were their production schedules were unusually for anime very far advanced. Like <clears throat> yesterday, well, Tate. Uh, managed to do its entire broadcast run, but that was that was almost finished before it even started airing, as far as production is concerned. And uh, Namiyoki Tekure was another one that managed to keep going. Uh, and actually, it should be noted, Fruits Basket has not had any hiatuses, as far as I, I'm thinking back, but I think Fruits Basket has gone straight through without any breaks as well, which to me is kind of surprising. So... Um, that some studios have managed. And I think what that tells us is the importance of an unanime like sane production schedule where you're not racing to meet deadlines every week, where you have a lot of, where you have some wiggle room built in because you have a lot of stuff already done well before the airing date. Uh, and any Netflix show typically has had that going because Netflix production schedules are notoriously for anime standards, much more, much more advanced than the traditional uh, production committee productions are yes uh, sure and so uh we'll kind of move on from there i i think it'll we'll definitely discuss COVID more and more but i mm. want to turn over since you mentioned netflix to the next item on our list which Yay. is actually b stars uh a show that i i think we'll talk about a great deal but basically season two was announced that it's going to Thank premiere God. in January of 2021, um, so next year. Um, I actually have not finished Star Season 1. I watched like the first three episodes, and I was just in a zone where <laughs> it was starting to creep me out a it little is. bit with like 
how unique it is. So, um, but yeah, a- any thoughts on that? Uh, yes, I, that was that was not a traditional Netflix one in that it actually uh, premiered on TV in Japan at the same time that it that it appeared on Japan Netflix. So it was really only in the West. Uh, like for example, Great Pretender, that that dumped like 14 episodes on Netflix before it ever even started really airing, even on Japanese TV. Um, so, so B stars is one I was following on a weekly basis as it came out. Uh, and it was a show I'm, I'm, you know, pretty, it is creepy. It is weird. Um, it's, it's not, uh, it's not a show that I think is fully, it, 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 part of the charm of it for me is that you get the sense that the mangaka is not even exactly sure what, what she thinks about some of the stuff that goes on in that show. She's more or less putting it out there because she's thinking about it, even as she's writing it. Uh, but I liked it to the point where it was number six on my top 10 list for last year. So needless to say, it's a show I really like a lot without a tremendous amount in the upcoming couple of schedules that interest me. I'm thrilled that it's coming up in January um, it kind of sucks that for Westerners, the Netflix situation is going to make that a little more complicated, but you know, um, I'll take, I'll take shows that interest me where I can get them. So I'm thrilled it's coming up in January and it's not an easy show to follow. It's definitely challenging. You mentioned monsters earlier, which is an incredibly challenging show. Uh, I think Beastars in a different way and perhaps not to the same extent is also a very challenging show. It, 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 pushes you into into places you might not prefer to go as a viewer and makes you think about some difficult things. In fact, I would even go so far as to argue that there are some themes that Beastars talks about that overlap with Monster, believe it or not. Um, so uh, as someone who likes to be challenged, who likes to be pushed, um, I don't like shows that are provocatorial for just for its own sake. Um, and there are examples of those out there. Um, but I like it when they are actually doing it for a purpose and they have some meaningful questions they're trying to ask. And I do think that B stars falls into that latter category. So I'm very excited. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Awesome. And, and one thing I do want to talk about since you mentioned it is I do want to discuss Netflix a little bit. Obviously we can discover, uh, not discover, but discuss Beastars um, at some other point. But I want to really talk about Netflix for a second Mm. here. I want to say Netflix USA really grinds my gears as an anime fan because the thing that kind of upsets me about it is their whole mantra of let's release it all at once. That works, I think, for the, the casual consumer before your hardcore anime fan that's used to watching things as they air and, you know, uh, is used to watching things weekly, mm. I would personally love the choice. Because uh, they do that with some of their Korean dramas and they do that with a lot of their um, other foreign material. I just don't understand why. And, I, and I'm assuming they have, like, numbers and data that backs up that the majority of viewers probably tend to watch stuff in bulk but for me personally as somebody who you know 
has a subscription to Crunchyroll, has a subscription to Funimation and High Dive whenever they put something that isn't like <laughs> some uncensored etchy show. Um, I am really miffed at the fact that I am generally watching shows six to sometimes six months later than, you know, when they aired in Japan. I think Netflix, there's some reason to suspect that they either don't really know how hardcore anime fandom works or just don't care. Um, And if it's the latter, I would question the business sense of that approach. Um, But on the other hand, you know, Netflix clearly they, they have their reasons for what they do. They're very savvy. They don't like to disclose their numbers much. So they're very secretive about that. Um, But, you know, I do remember like, Trigger is a studio that's done a lot of work with Netflix over the years. And Trigger is also a studio that's extremely, by Japanese standards, extremely savvy about Western fandom. They, they, they're very, they, they design internationally. Uh, and so they always have the international market in mind. And they used to come, and I'm sure they still do or, or will when they start again, but they used to come to anime cons where they would have panels for shows that, had never aired in the country where the con was taking place because Netflix was doing, as you say, three months, six months, whatever it is sitting on a show. And, but they would come to these conventions and do these panels knowing that most of the audience would have seen the show anyway. Um, And how would they do that? Well, we both know how they do that. There are old fashioned ways of watching anime and serious anime fans know how to watch anime that way. And if you're really interested in a show, you're not going to wait three months or six months to watch it just because Netflix is is being being a douchebag about it. So uh, um, go ahead. I agree. But yeah. I'm going to I'm going to quickly interject because I, I really want to talk about this. I end up waiting because right. Netflix is funding said show. Right. And then not only is Netflix funding it, but the views on the show are what yeah. guarantee or greenlit a second season. So more often than not, I will I will ask people, especially like my brother is one of the people who he can't wait for certain things, right? I will literally ask him to wait and watch it on Netflix just because I want, you know, mm. something like say let's use High Score Girl as an example. I told everybody I knew once that was out to watch it just because I wanted that to get a continuation. Mm. And I think that's the, that's the scary thing is if your hardcore audience has already moved on by the time it's released, you're losing, I think a huge chunk of the audience that would potentially be the market for that show. Right. It's complicated. It's especially complicated for me because I'm, I'm a blogger and I have to make the decision. Not only when will I watch a show, but when will I talk about a show? Um, and if I don't talk about Great Pretender until Great Pretender is either on Crunchyroll or, or, or Funimation in some weekly format where where Westerners are going to see it, by the time I get to talking about Great Pretender, um, there's a good chance most of the people who could potentially be readers on my blog will have moved on to other things. Um, and so that's that's a challenge for me. And also it's a challenge for me as a fan because I don't like to wait. You know, High Score Girl 
I waited five years for that freaking anime adaptation because of the whole nightmare that happened with, with, uh, you know, with, with the, with the, with the Square Enix and the copyright violations and that, that, and so that, that was an adaptation that was scuttled for several years and then finally revived. But so I'm generally an impatient person to begin with. I don't like to wait. So it's a tough call for me to, to do what you did, which the only thing I would say is you, one thing you can do if you just can't wait is rewatch it once it's on Netflix and give them the hit counts anyway. Um, so if you're someone who doesn't mind rewatching a show they like, um, you know, consider it from this perspective as a Westerner, if you want to support a, a, a show you like, it's a lot easier for you. All you have to do is, is click on it on Netflix and watch it. Japanese people, they pretty much have to spend a hundred dollars for two episodes on a Blu-ray or, or a DVD um, to show they support a show. Um, now that's not as big a part of the equation as it used to be, but it's still a major part of the financial equation for shows that aren't Netflix driven, um, is, is disc sales. And so if all you have to do is just rewatch something you've already seen, you know, suck it up and watch it. Uh, but I think you're doing it the right way. I I'm totally supportive of your approach. I just think we have to be realistic and say for a lot of fans, who have a long history of watching anime in a certain way, that's going to be a tough sell to say, I'm not going to watch something until everyone in Japan has already seen it and talked about it. And a lot of my fellow fans have already seen it and talked about it. That's, that's a tough sell for a lot of people. Um, and, and Netflix is going to have to sooner or later get with the program here. Uh, I think, and acknowledge that that simply isn't the way the anime cycle works. It's not the same with anime as it is with a lot of other things. You know, anime is a global phenomenon and anime fans are used to being more or less in sync with Japanese fans now. And to say, we're going to take that away from you. You just have to wait. I think the fact that Trigger would show up at these conventions expecting people will have already seen the shows is a reflection of the fact that it's just not realistic to expect people to wait. Because um, for every one person like you who does it the right way, there's probably going to be five people who just jump in and watch. Um, so, yeah, I, it's a tough one. I don't know that there's a right answer until Netflix. I don't necessarily see the downside for Netflix. That's what's really frustrating. I don't see the downside for Netflix in acknowledging reality. I don't see how that's going to hurt them. I don't see how that's going to cost them any money. In fact, I think it'll probably make them more money in the long run. Um, I agree. And I think the holdup here is definitely Netflix because uh, you mentioned anime conventions and I've been to a few where Trigger and MAPPA and all these like very high up people, like I think the CEO of MAPPA was one of the people that I heard at a panel, and they've all all echoed the sentiment that they themselves are also frustrated by the fact that, you know, fans right. aren't getting to see something like they're used to. And I think so. The only one that's, I, I think Netflix isn't the one that's losing in this particular case, because they are probably looking at sure. their entire catalog and not just anime. But the anime fans, the anime industry, the producers, yep. those are the people that are getting damaged. So I hope to God whoever is making this decision, because it is just happening for anime, I hope they 
come to reality for I lack so. of a, a nicer way to say it because because they're doing it with Korean dramas, they're doing it with Chinese dramas, they're doing it with Mexican TV shows. I mean, why is anime being singled out? That's yep. the thing that I'm very curious about. So uh, definitely something we'll check in on and I will continue Sounds to harp good. on as we talk about Netflix anime. Okay, so moving on to the third item on our list. Uh, we will talk about something from Japan since we have an actual Japanese resident with us here today and hopefully for many years to come. Um, so the next article is about the Kyoto International Manga and Anime Fair 2020, which is actually scheduled to be held in September. It is. So, yeah, so this is also written by Daryl Harding. And it basically reads, the Kyoto International Manga and Anime Fair announced on August 5th uh, that its 2020 event will be going on ahead in September uh, on the 19th and the 20th at the Miyako Messe in Kyoto. Uh, other than Wonder Festival in February, this will be the first big anime event in Japan since the coronavirus pandemic hit the country, which saw Anime Japan and Kamiket getting canceled. Um, uh, and then it goes on about like 40 exhibitors are scheduled uh, the big names like Kadokawa, Aniplex and many other anime companies are coming to this um, and uh, there will be at least 19 works being exhibited over the two days and I believe this is a public event but advanced tickets and advanced tickets have already gone on sale for the event so It'll be interesting to see how this event does and if it actually is scheduled. Uh, as someone living in Japan, uh, Guardian Enzo, talk to me about how the feeling is on the ground, especially with the second surge, as you mentioned, and whether you would potentially go to this uh, event if you could. Well, uh, it's it, it has it, it's, normally it actually happens in July, so this this in itself amounts to a delay, but. <clears throat> I don't know whether I'll go or not. And I'm frankly still suspecting that it will end up being canceled. Uh, but if it's not, um, it's going to be very tempting to go because I've gone the last couple of years. And in this part of the country, it's the biggest anime event there is. No longer living in Tokyo, you know, I don't have easy access to Comic Cat or Jump Festa or TAF, uh, you know, or Anime Japan, as they call it now. Those are the big, big ones, but this is the biggest one in West Japan. And it would be fun. Um, it would be, but my inclination at this point is to say I probably won't because the nature of anime conventions is lots and lots of people packed closely together in indoor spaces. And while this is not Comicet by any stretch of the imagination, which is a which is a cattle call of the highest order, I mean that that's you know that kind of crowding is is on another level. But nevertheless, this just strikes me as a bad idea. Um, so if this if this happens, I may wake up on the Saturday and I may say it's a beautiful day. It's a six hundred yen train ride. Uh, I really want to do it <clears throat> and I can't say I won't go, but if you ask me right now to put the odds on it, I'd say I probably won't. 
Um, but I reserve the right to change my mind. Fair enough. Yeah, I, as one of the people who's like really hunkering down in the coronavirus and being extra careful when I'm in the United States, so everybody here is just not really in reality. There's a lot of people, even in my apartment building, that just won't put on masks and won't be, you know, careful around that stuff. Um, Japan is slightly different, but even there, there's a second surge. So I'm surprised they're still going with the event. Um, but maybe, you know, Japan, I think, is starting to get into that mode of reopening up. And even though there is a... Um, there is, you know, a risk of infection and, you know, they're going to provide stuff like sanitizers and masks and temperatures taking, it seems like over there, I still wouldn't feel safe. So I'll be interested to see if this event actually goes on. And if you end up going Guardian Enzo, obviously that'll be huge because there seems like there's going to be some really cool stuff there. Um I will have to feel more comfortable with the situation than I do right now. Actually, the daily case numbers, Osaka just set a record uh, the other day. Two days ago, I think they had more cases than at any point during the pandemic. Uh, and Tokyo has been done that several times. So in, in a sense, the second wave has actually been bigger than the first. Um, and you have your share of COVID idiots here too. Um, people who don't want to wear masks, people who you know want to go out to bars and and host clubs and so, you know, right now, uh, there's a Japan has done has a lot of denial with regards to this whole pandemic, and for whatever reason, has not seen the huge surge in serious cases, hospitalizations, and deaths that we've seen in a lot of Western countries. Um, but they're still not testing enough people. Um, there's still, you know, the government is refusing to declare another state of emergency. Um, so I guess it just depends what the numbers do between now and then. Um, there's a lot of factors that go into it, but yeah, I, I, and I believe me, I love anime cons. I mean, I, I think they're, they're, they're fun. Um, you know, I really want to go, but if, if things are, if things are motoring along it the way they are right now, I can't see it happening for me. Um, and I, frankly, if the daily case numbers we're seeing now are still happening, you know, in, in two weeks, three weeks, I think there's still a good chance this thing would be canceled altogether, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I would say to everybody, stay safe, wear a mask, stay w away from <laughs> me and everybody else, you know, if yeah. you can. Um, yeah. Stay away. Just 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 leave, please. Not the podcast, but just leave leave civilization. Um and we'll leave it at that. Um so mm. to happier news for some people, um we will talk about the Inuyasha spin-off. So this is from Anime News Network, and this actually is written by Rafael Antonio mm. Pineda. Pineda? Rafael Antonio Pineda. You know, he has a really cool name. I will say that. Very, very exotic sounding. For <laughs> Hardly. Me, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Right. Wow, you even That's got the, the accent right there. So I'm sure yes. I'm sure there's people who are like, what are these guys doing? Why are they anyway? Uh, okay, so Inuyasha spinoff. Um, 
Viz Anime unveiled the first full trailer, a new visual, and the three main cast members for the Yashahime Princess Half Demon, Hanayo no Yashahime. Hanyo no Hashahime. Wow, I butchered that. Anime spinoff of Rumiko Takahashi's Inuyasha series on Thursday. So there's a new trailer out. You can go and watch it. It's on YouTube. Viz has uh, it on their official YouTube channel as well. Um, I've taken a look at it. Um, obviously, there's some returning characters and there's some children of notable characters as well. Um, I actually did watch the original Inuyasha, um, and the but I only watched the anime. I did not read the the gigantic manga. Me too. Um, so, okay, okay. And uh, for me, I was quite disappointed with the very, very rushed and truncated final season that just skipped a bunch of the manga and then just jumped right into the ending. But Guardian Enzo, I wanted to ask you how you felt about this sequel. Did the trailer do anything for you? Are you excited about this? What are your thoughts? Uh, Yeah, this is where we get into that danger zone where for me, where I don't want to... I don't want to be that guy who's negative about everything. And there's a lot in anime that doesn't make me feel super positive at the moment. Honestly, um, this kind of has dumpster fire vibes for me. Uh, It's not the only involvement Rumiko has with it is character designs. So anytime you get, uh, you know, uh, the original author not being involved in crafting the story that worries me. Um, we're kind of seeing this evolution of a lot of older franchises that when they get rebooted, it has to now be in the cute girls doing cute things mode. Um, to be honest with you more than anything else, what it puts me in mind of is last exile fam, which was a sequel that never should have been made. Oh yeah. I never finished. I never finished it. And I loved the original last exile. Yeah, me too. I mean, Last Exile was a huge, it was a formative series for me. And in a sense, Inuyasha was too. I mean, I really, I didn't read the manga. I read bits and pieces of it later when I wanted to find out all that was being skipped, as you as you skillfully noted in your introduction. But I loved the anime and I didn't love all of it, but it was still important to me. I really bonded with the characters. Um, I, I feel like if this needed to be if this was a story that needed to be told Ramiko would have told it herself um the animation in the in the in the trailer looks fine i mean it, it doesn't it, you know it doesn't look wonky or anything it just i'm going into this sort of with the attitude of unfortunately maybe not fair on my part of uh, it's going to need to do something to prove to me why it needs to exist in the first place um and the premise sounds kind of you know let's let's jury rig a sequel to a classic and give it 2020 anime tropes um and i you know i you know there are issues with the way the inuyasha original ended in anime form because as you say it skipped a lot of pieces to get where it needed to be but the answer to that is not a sequel the answer would have been something like full metal alchemist brotherhood where you retell the story and and give the original the the treatment it deserves. Um, so I will certainly be watching um, as an Inuyasha fan. I have to do that. And I'll certainly be 
thrilled if it surprises me, but my expectations are modest. Um, let's put it that way. Yeah, I I am actually even harsher on this than you are, and which is funny because I picked it. But I really liked Inuyasha, the original 167 episode series. I, I liked that quite a bit, even with its recycled animation. But you know, it was long anime series are are generally pretty good if they get to like over 100 episodes. There's generally something there. Uh, but yeah, the way the original series ended and the way it's just like three girls basically that are daughters of the original cat the the original core casts like three main characters it it just seems like it's in a completely different genre from the original and so yeah i i don't know if i'll even be watching it unless you you specifically come to me you guardian enzo you specifically come to me and say (laughs) you need to watch this i will not so well, yeah, I mean, my first impressions post will definitely be out there. So uh, I'll, I'll definitely be watching the first couple of episodes, unless I just hate the first step so much that it's just like I there is a, an emotional side of it, too, where if you love a, an original so much, if something comes along that you really feel is defacing it, you might even bail quicker just because you hate to see something you love being being defiled in that way. I hope it doesn't come. Yeah, to I mean, you've got Guardian in your title, so I'm going to hold you to that. Yes. Guard me okay. from all the terrible things in this. World. All right. All right. Check in with me and I'll let you know whether to proceed. Yes, sir. That sounds perfect. So, okay. Um, we're getting near the end. This, I swear, these okay. sections will not be as big as they are this week. This is the first week where we're doing a new section and I found like eight or nine items worth talking about uh, from the past week. I assure you all, this is not going to happen very often. Uh, but moving on to another sad thing, mm. I think, um, because I like one of the series that this uh, that this uh, studio has done. Uh, this is a oh wow okay okay it's Raf Rafael Antonio Pineda again, and he talks about uh, Arms Studio Arms. Uh, the article is mm. Ikitosin Alphenlide Studio Arms declares bankruptcy and i i think it's Elfenlied or elfin lead uh there's been a huge debate on that in in the old days and i just call it elfin lied because i read it that way but um basically yep. uh studio arms which was founded in 1996 and initially was uh an outsourcing studio for studio Paro parrot Paro, um mm-hmm uh, and also did uh, some adult anime. Uh, that studio has basically declared bankruptcy, um, and they were best known for you know doing Elfenlied. They did Queen's Blade and Ikitosin and Samurai Girls. Um, wow, a lot of these are actually not very good except for Elfenlied. Oh, they did Mayo, which was the uh, the one uh, about the the Mao and the hero where they end up mm. in a romantic relationship, uh, which I remember both of us, I think, watched and enjoyed, I think. Uh, but anyway. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, one. and they also yeah. did, uh, I I can never pronounce the name, Bryn Hilder in the Darkness, the other. Yeah, Goku Koku no Bryn Hilder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the other one from the Elfenlied author. Yes. So. 
a much misunderstood series in my opinion, but, but that's another. Yeah. Yeah. I actually liked that one. a decent bit. I liked it too. I did too. It was, it was, in my opinion, it was a, it was a comedy series masquerading as a horror series or maybe it was a horror series masquerading as a comedy series. I'm not sure which, but it was definitely interesting. Yeah. So I guess they, the company has filed for special liquidation or filed for it on July 22nd. And, uh, after going through like a shareholder meeting on May 31st. So yeah, they're, they're kind of done, I guess, which is sad to see. Yeah, they're done. Yeah. Not the first, not the last. Yeah, I wonder if it was, because uh, the article doesn't say what the reasoning behind it was. Was it just that they weren't finding work, or was it COVID, or was it just, I don't know. I think COVID, COVID, COVID is costing a lot of, is, COVID is basically going to be the sorting hat for a lot of these troubled companies. It's Because if they were, if, if, if companies were healthy when this all started, they'll have a little ability to survive it. But if you were already in trouble... I think for a lot of companies, this could be the thing that pushes them over the edge, and that applies to anime production as well. Um, Arms was not a huge player; it wasn't one of the top tier studios. Uh, you know, it was a it was a second tier studio. Uh, it has some history, as you said. Um, you know, the Queen's Blade series, I would have assumed, was quite financially successful for them. Um, but as we know, in the production. In the production in the production kitty uh, committee model, the production studio itself generally does not see a lot of the profit. Uh, they're quite low on the on on, on the, the totem pole. Um, so I think a lot of the money that Queensblade made did not end up filtering down to to arms. But here's my take on it, and I'm always sad to see a production studio go under. But in an if the only way the industry can survive or a studio can survive is by slave labor on the part of its younger animation team in betweeners and such, maybe more studios need to go under um, because this is not a sustainable production model. Um, so I I do think there unfortunately this is it's two things it's there's no buffer zone for production studios they have no safety net and two um they don't stand to make enough money off successful anime productions because that's going to light novel publishers and and seiyu agencies and idol agencies and all the companies that rank above them in the production committee model skim off most of the profits before they ever make it to the production studios and with netflix which pays more that money is going to defray studio debt. So more of it is making to the studios, but almost none of it is making it to the employees. It's going to defray corporate debt rather than actually going to the animators who are making $300 a month to work 70 hour weeks. So um, I'm sad to see arms go. It's not a studio that I feel a strong personal connection with necessarily, but I'm always sad to see a production studio go. And I did like, as you said, Goku Koku no Brynhildr. I thought that was a fun and interesting quirky show and Elfin lied, uh, or lead, but it, I, it's not the first, you know, I felt more when Manglobe went under, for example, yes. because they were responsible for some shows I really loved and it's not going to be the last one. Um, we were already probably going to see a couple of anime studios that weren't going to survive even before the pandemic hit. And now we may lose even a couple above and beyond that. It's sad. And you have another story we're going to be talking about soon. Spoilers. But another story we're going to be talking about, which I think 
ties into this same topic as well. So it's just the reality of the industry now. Actually, since you mentioned it, let's go to that story. Um, I Yeah. So Asahi Broadcasting Group, a holding, actually acquires mm. Silverlink as a subsidiary. This is also right. by Rafael Antonio Pineda. I, th- I think mm. he's like their... Rafael, you're busy. He's, he's their star reporter over there at Anime News Network. Mm. But um, mm. yeah, kind of like how we mentioned, they purchased Silverlink, Asahi Broadcasting Group Holdings, as a subsidiary mm. company as of Monday. Um, and Silverlink itself actually reabsorbed its, uh, its own subsidiary, Anime Studio Connect, um, last month. So there's a lot of movement going on in there. Um, and for Silverlink, um, they have, uh, uh, in December 2007 was when they were established, and they were uh, actually they spun off of uh, Frontline Company. Uh, some of the notable things that this studio has made is the Fate, uh, the the Prisma Ilya series, those like spin-offs for the Fate franchise, Strike the Blood, um, Death March to oh Death March to a Parallel World, which is an Isekai, Kokoro Connect, Watermote, which I think you liked a lot. Um, I did. My Next Life as a Villainous, which I have seen. And uh, the currently airing and exceedingly hilarious Misfit of Demon Academy, which they're kind of running right now. So um, Silverlink is kind of a B-tier studio, but they do solid work. So it seems like they... Yeah, high B, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So they're actually Mm -hmm. doing well, it seems. Like, they just got bought out by a bigger company. What's your take on this? Yeah, Yeah, this is like, you know, this is to some extent like when Madhouse was effectively bought out by NTV. When you have a, a TV network uh, buying an animation studio, Madhouse is a bigger studio than Silverlink, but um, Silverlink is by no means a pygmy. It, it, they've done some some significant work. Uh, my favorite series among them was, was Watamote. That's, I think, their best work. But I view them as a, basically as a sort of a spinoff studio of Shaft in that they have their, you know, their big director was a Shaft veteran and a lot of their stylistically, they sort of, they were a spinoff of Shaft in the same way that Bones was a spinoff of Sunrise. They, they had a lot of Sunrise people go to Bones when they started and stylistically, they were sort of a, a twist on the Sunrise model. And I think that's been true with Silverlink and Shaft to an extent. Um, I'm not a big Shaft fan, but I do like a lot of what Silverlink has done. I just think Silverlink also did another series, which I absolutely love, Tanaka-kun wa Itsumo Kerurugue. Uh, Tanaka-kun is always listless, which I think is arguably the most... Yes, that is amazing. Why do they not have that in this list? The most beautiful anime comedy, beautiful in terms of visual visuals, one of the most beautiful anime comedies ever made. Um, and a fantastic manga, by the way, just a wonderful manga. Uh, so... This is not a bad thing for Silverlink in much the same way Madhouse getting bought out by NTV was not a bad thing for them. This, I think the studio will still exist as an imprint. And I think it's just that now a lot of what they see is it's going to be financially, it's going to be directly linked between Asai and the studio. So you're going to see, you're not going to see a Silverlink producing series for NTV or uh, you know something like that very of our MBS the the you know the main studio the main TV networks behind them is obviously going to be their owner um but you know 
it gives them financial stability. Asai has a tremendous amounts of capital. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I, I think it's just as, as the industry contracts, as it becomes harder and harder for studios with their low ranking and production committee, uh, you know, hierarchies, it becomes harder and harder for them to financially be stable. The opportunity to get a majority shares bought out by a, a larger umbrella company that has a lot of cash, uh, it you can see the appeal. It, it, it's, it's not hard to see. So if it keeps Silverlink functioning as as a studio, if it you know you know I think Madhouse's glory days probably are a few years in the past, but I don't think that's a result necessarily of NTV buying them. Uh, and I don't think Silverlink. I don't think this is a bad thing for them. I think they can continue to operate on more or less the same capacity that they have. Um, it just that you know maybe they lose a little bit of their creative independence, which is not a good thing. But I think Madhouse has still continued to do some excellent work after they were after they were majority bought out. So I I don't see any reason to think Silverlink can't do the same. Yes, I agree. Um, and one thing that I have heard, and if you have some insight into this, I'd love some confirmation. But I've heard that the way Japanese business works is they're very very risk averse. They really kind of calculate. Uh, before they do something, and they're they're not on big big on taking risks. So the fact that Asagi Broadcast Group Holdings is doing making this kind of move in this climate, I think speaks to some kind of confidence in Silverlink, like a huge amount of confidence. I well, I, it, I think it does. I think to some extent, it also reflects the fact that an animation studio. Unless you're talking about something really, really huge like the IG portal or something like that, but somebody like Silverlink, for for a company like Asai, which is also affiliated with the Asai Beverage Company, and so this is a big, big conglomerate. The amount of cash that's required for them to buy Silverlink is probably like somebody do a runabout and check the couch cushions kind of money. Oh wow! Um, so for them, it's not that big a deal. That you also have to realize too that. As you said, the business model in Japan is pretty conservative. There's some, 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 even in this time, I've seen stories that something like 500 trillion yen in cash is being hoarded by major Japanese corporations right now, um, which is a tremendous amount of money. Um, yes. You know, we're talking like, you know, hundred. You know, one trillion is what? One tr- a trillion is a thousand billion, yeah. right? So um, you're talking about tremendous amounts of money uh, being hoarded. So companies like Asai, they're not cash poor. Uh, they have plenty of money to buy a little minnow like Silverlink if they want. And they see this in much the same way. I think for them... They see there's money to be made in anime, and this gives them sort of a way to be inside, uh, to give them an in-house production studio. I frankly would not be surprised to see Netflix at some point try to cut out the middleman. And it's complicated because Netflix is a foreign company, but to see Netflix get into an ownership position uh, of an anime studio... Um, well, even if it's one they have to build themselves, uh, that wouldn't shock me to see that happen in the future because 
it's not a lot of money to them. It's it's really pocket change to them. Uh, so if they can improve their improve their business model uh, by doing something like this, absolutely, I could see why they would do it. Um, and you know, with the stories you hear about working conditions in anime, I'm not sure it's a bad thing. Anything that gets more money into the industry, the trick is it has to trickle down to the people who are actually making the product. And right now that's not happening. Um, but if enough, if this happens enough, let me, let me just, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this up by saying this, whatever is happening now is not really working because if animators are making $300 a month, it's not working. Right. So if, if something shakes that up, I'm prepared to give it a look-see and see if it can change. Um, so I say, hell yes, let's, let's do it. Um, let's bring companies like Asai in. Let's, let's have Netflix get more and more directly involved. Maybe eventually that will make a difference in, in the actual lives of the creators, which I think is something we would all love to see. Yes, for sure. Sure. And speaking of Netflix, that'll kind of uh, take us to our final story of the week, uh, mm. which is another Netflix series coming out. Um, one that was actually delayed. So this is about Seven Deadly Sins, Nanatsuna Taizai. Mm. And this is written by Alex Mateo. Mateo? Um, so another, uh, another author, Anime News Network is not solely run by Raphael. Um, <laughs> basically, uh, this article talks about how the official website for the Seven Deadly Sins anime mentioned on Wednesday that uh, the, the next season of Nanatsuno Taizai, uh, Dragon's Judgment, Fudo no Shimpan, is going to be delayed to January 2021. It was originally supposed to air in October, it seems like. So yeah, delayed in Japan from, uh, from when, it was, when it was supposed to come out this year to next year. Um, and uh, the interesting thing here is that Seven Deadly Sins, the, the, the current season or the last season, just came out, I think, this week in, uh, uh, in U.S. Shores. So we just got it, <laughs> and Japan is now think, thinking about the next season. So that, that tells you a few things. But um, mm. I talking about season two or... Netflix calls it season three because those four OVAs are technically season two. But season three, I was not super impressed with because that was the first season where they took some huge logical leaps and apparently cut out a huge part of the manga and rushed a bunch of things. So I did not like the last three or four episodes of the last season I saw. And so I'm really struggling to get back into Seven Deadly Sins. But What's what's your take on it? You've also seen the series, correct? No, uh, I yeah, I watched most of the first season and I kind of lost interest at that point. So I I'm not I can't weigh in in terms of uh, the, the 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 content side of it because I haven't really followed it for since maybe the tenth or eleventh episode, which I think is about as far as I got into it. Um, as far as the production delay, you know, one season production delays at this point. That's almost a standard, I think. And I think what you ended up seeing is, you know, a lot of the series that were originally going to air in summer got pushed back to fall 
So as a result, shows that was originally supposed to be produced for fall, like this one ended up getting pushed back to winter. And I think, you know, you'll see this domino effect continue a little bit into 2021, assuming that there isn't another huge flare up, which causes a major production slowdown again. But I think what you're seeing right now is the aftermath of the first one with uh, just a domino effect of the delays from this series starting to, from this year, starting to push stuff over into next year. So, you know, it's all part of the deal. It's all part of the deal. Um, it, it, all the studios are adapting in their own ways. And um, I wasn't Yahare and Ray Zero were both delayed originally too, right? Weren't they both supposed to wear air in spring or yes, summer? Yes, they were supposed to, supposed to come in spring and they, they got pushed forward. Yeah, which is why you're seeing Nanatsu get pushed over, and not not only Nanatsu get pushed over to 2021, because those those man hours are now being used up by stuff that was originally supposed to be finished airing by now. So, yeah. Yeah, I will say something about Netflix, though, because I've been bashing them quite a bit. Um, they do commit to their franchises. Like, already getting a fourth season after, like, I think, well, a fifth season, I guess. It's technically season five because the fourth just came out. So that one just came out in the U.S., and they're already scheduling the next one. So at the very least, fans of the franchise, and I don't know if I am anymore, I'll let you guys know, but uh, fans of the franchise are at least lucky to have an anime continue at a regular pace and be funded and all that stuff. So, yeah, any franchise I was a fan of, I would not be complaining if Netflix were involved in the production. That's fine with me um, because you know it's going to get funded adequately and Netflix is not allergic to pushing sequels. So, um, you know, you know there are definitely issues with Netflix, but if you're a fan of, of a franchise, if you see that Netflix is involved in it, I, some people view that as a reason to be disappointed. I, In more, more and more ways than that, I think it's a reason to be happy. Yes, for sure. And I guess we'll leave even Netflix on a positive note. Um, yeah, well, hey, there are positives to it for sure. Yes, for sure. So that about wraps up the news segment. Um, we'll transition into the next next segment now. Um, this one ran really long. I was not expecting to hit a whole hour. But this was a okay. huge news week, surprisingly. Mm. The first week we're back and Raphael... Um, Alex and a name that I couldn't pronounce at all. <laughs> um, but I want to give him credit, so I'm going to go look up one of his articles. Uh, okay. And Daryl Harding. Harding. Daryl Harding. Hmm. The three hmm. of them were busy this week and definitely got us a lot of interesting news. So we'll, we'll do this segment, I think, uh, every week. We'll recap the news from the, the previous week. Because uh, we record on Fridays, and we'll we'll try and keep it as topical as we can. And I uh, I suspect that these will not be an hour like they were this time. I suspect you're right. Okay, and with that, let's transition to our next and probably our biggest uh, segment of the se- uh, of the podcast, which is. So this section dear listeners, is going to be what we will call Topic of the Week. Um, And we've done these before, if you remember the previous incarnation of our podcast. 
But basically, this week we will highlight something that we want to talk about and have a deeper discussion on. This week, because the news was insanely big as a section, we're going to kind of uh, go a little bit smaller, but you can expect these sections to be kind of the meat of the episode. If the if the first two sections are the appetizer, then this is kind of the, the big thing. So uh, jumping into it, the topic I want to talk about this week, Guardian Enzo, is actually COVID-19, which we've talked about quite a bit in this episode, but I want to kind of get into some more specifics and kind of wrap up our overall thoughts about how that's affected us, the anime industry, and our viewing of it. Um, And I'll actually start off with um, a question about what we lost because of COVID, uh, besides the, obviously, the the life and the loved ones and, you know, our our hearts go out to all the people that, you know, have suffered intense loss in this time. But from an anime perspective, we also lost a couple of series. And um, I want us kind of both kind of mention some stuff that we are sad that either got delayed or got pushed and then what we think will happen to it. So I'll kick it over to you, Guardian Enzo. What is something that you uh, saw delayed or lost that, you know, you're kind of upset about and, you know, you'd want to talk more about? Well, at this point, most of the stuff that I was interested in at the time this hit is either, uh, either like a couple of shows, like I said, like yesterday and uh, Nami Okite Kure, those managed to air and a couple of other things have gone away and come back like major, which has had two hiatuses, but is now back hopefully to stay. The one great outlier here is kingdom. Yes. I'm glad you mentioned it from studio Pirol, which, you know, is a notoriously bottom line oriented anime production company. Uh, so probably did not have a lot of meat on the bones of that production. Uh, but, um, we don't know what's going on with kingdom. Uh, there has been, as far as I know, and I've been checking no official mention of, uh, what's going to happen with the show. Uh, no announcement of a resume date, but also no announcement of cancellation. The manga remains, you know, in extremely popular. Uh, I would assume that this is a show that they want to, to, to resume and complete at some point. But when that will happen, I have no idea. Uh, as I said, Studio Pirol is notoriously cheap, uh, as anyone who watched the first two seasons of Kingdom will certainly attest to. Um, so it's just possible that that production was so threadbare and, and so bare bones that they just, they had no safety net at all. They were, they were literally throwing stuff, giving stuff to the courier the day before it was supposed to air on TV in the Shirobako style. Um, so it may just be that it's taking them a long time to catch up. I, I That's, you know, in anime terms, that's the show that I'm most concerned with because there's just been no, no Bo Peeps about what's happening with it. And I did fear when this started that some shows would get canceled altogether just because it wasn't financially worthwhile for the production committees to go back and finish them. I didn't necessarily think kingdom would be one of those, but the fact that we've heard nothing about it makes me suspect that that's at least something one could realistically be nervous about. 
Yes. So I'm glad you mentioned Kingdom. I actually have been following it very, very closely. Um, actually, um, my wife and I, we, we watched. So I got her into Kingdom and we watched through the entire first season and then the second season and we caught up to season three. And for anybody that's like involved with watching season three, it starts on a really high note. Yeah. Um, and it's super exciting. And obviously COVID happened. The one thing I did want to note, Guardian Enzo, because I looked this up, um, the studio actually changed for season three. It's not Perot anymore. It's Signpost. But Signpost is a subsidiary. It's, it's like an offshoot studio of Perot, as far as I know. Okay, that yeah, makes yeah. sense. But the reason I brought that up is because season three definitely felt like it was way higher budget than the previous seasons in terms of like the animation style, the uh, the artwork, just everything. Because if you remember, one of the reasons that the original Kingdom struggled a bit, at least when it was airing, was because of the heavy, heavy use of CG and the fact that I, I think they eventually went away from it in season two. But season one, there was a lot of very cheap CGI, and that yeah. turned off a lot of people. Yeah, Kingdom is a show that 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 has always thrived strictly based on the writing, and because the animation has always been, you know, grisly. Uh, it was never quite as bad as it was in the first season when it was relying heavily on really, really, really just awful CGI. But uh, and I agree with you, it did perk up a little bit in season three. It's definitely looked better, which had me feeling quite optimistic. Um, as you said, it did change officially to signpost, which is signpost is like, they have a long history with Piro. They've had a couple different names over the years. They were called Piro plus most recently. Uh, then they were studio Kikan before that. So, but they're still owned by the parent company of, of studio Piro. So it's the same it's the same animation family maybe this particular subdivision is a little bit higher quality uh, it, based on the evidence of what you'd see with kingdom i think you'd have to say that was probably the case uh, but my 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 overriding assumption is still that that it's piro's financial model which is very 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 aggressive uh, in terms of getting stuff done cheaply, and that may have, that may be a contributing factor to why we haven't heard anything about a resumption. Um, but I I don't know. Uh, I mean, who the hell knows? No one's no one's talking. Yeah, the the last thing we actually heard uh, was from the official Twitter account, and I think all the production committee said is that they would announce have an announcement for fans eventually once they decide uh, what to do with the situation. So they're not sure, which is very, very interesting. Uh, the reason I'm a little hopeful um, is because of the higher production value yeah. and how interesting this story was. And it seems like this was only going to be one core. It wasn't going to be a long series, at least from the budget. It definitely seemed like this was going to be one 13 episode like focused story. The pacing was also really fast. So I'm wondering if... At the very least, they're probably deciding between do we re-air it on TV or do we just release it straight to disc and have like it become an OVA release and have the, the fans that want it supported that way. And it's also worth noting that the time slot that this show airs in 
is uh, being filled by the final season of Attack on Titan, starting with fall. Right. So that presents another, that's another issue with these production delays. Uh, you know, the time slot issue is, is important for stuff that airs on television, right? So uh, in theory, Kingdom, the first two seasons, I think were both three cores. I, I, I'm assuming this one was probably going to be at least two, probably three. Um, that can't happen with AOT airing in that time slot starting in October, assuming that doesn't get delayed. And I heard nothing about that being delayed. Um, so, uh, that, that's another complicating factor. As you say, maybe something goes straight to video or, or, I mean, who knows? Um, but my hope at this point, my realistic full hope is maybe we're going to get the first core, uh, the first core finish this season, and which is like eight more episodes, eight or nine more episodes. And if they hurry, they could still make it and then maybe take a break while uh, Shingeki airs in the fall. And then maybe Kingdom could come back and finish airing next year. Uh, But all I'm doing is speculating. And the reason that I'm speculating and the reason you're speculating is because the the, officially we're, we're getting no information. So if you don't give people information, they'll speculate. Very true. But I'm also not very surprised because Japanese companies are terrible at communication. And that's not limited to just the anime industry. It's just video games, what have you. They they will just, when they're ready to say something, they will say it. Um, yeah. and Or they will hold an event and you'll yeah. find out that way. Yeah. But whenever these off-kilter things happen, you're left in the dark for a good amount of time. I will say I am hopeful because of how strong the season was, how much money they invested in it. Um, I just think they're figuring out how to best like monetize it and position it, which is fair. You know, it's fair. It's fair. It's just that with virtually every other show, at least all the ones that I was following, there's either been a resolution or continuation or at least communication. And this is the only one in my catalog where we've gotten jack squat so it's frustrating yeah it's frustrating yeah i've noticed it and uh and yeah i i don't want to think about that for sure it 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 does scare me and keep me up at night but i think the time slot issue is is i suspect that's a major factor and what i if i was betting money at this point and it's strictly a guess but if i was betting money i would say probably airing 2021 would be my guess Okay, um, I'll I'll take a separate bet, and I'll say that it'll be released direct to DVD, okay, or Blu-ray. We'll see, and yeah, we'll see. Um, yep, for sure. Okay, so Kingdom was definitely you know the thing on both of our minds. I'm glad you kind of mentioned that, but um, beyond you know, and we talked about a lot of the anime industry delays and stuff like that. Um, what do you think, I guess, what, so whenever something like this happens, humans are kind of forced to adapt and to change and, you know, find, maybe find other things, get a hobby, but, you know, I'm not definitely like that. I refuse to let go of my anime. And so um, what did you kind of do and what would you suggest to the listeners? And I'll give my own take on this after you. 
of doing while there's an anime drought of sorts. And I know it's it's coming back a little bit now, but even this season is like really small compared to some of the other ones we've seen. Um, so how have you been coping with the drought and what are some suggestions or tips if you have any for how other anime fans can do that? Well, we've already talked about back catalog, watching old stuff, rewatching old stuff that we really like. Um, you know, re, 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 reconnecting with a series, you know, you love after a long absence is certainly a way to keep yourself connected to, to the medium, finding series that are on the bucket list that you've been wanting to watch for a long time. Well, there's probably no better opportunity than now. Um, so that's another suggestion. And then lastly, I would say the manga manga industry is in my opinion, infinitely creatively more healthy than anime right now. Anyway, COVID aside, uh, mangas, mangas literally, you know, I don't have time to read all the, the really good manga that I would like to read. So read more manga. There's lots of great manga out there. Manga is creatively far more diverse than anime. It always has been, but the gap is even greater now than it ever has been before. Um, and you know, eventually if we're lucky, some of these great manga will eventually become anime. So Maybe the ones you choose to read now, we'll even get the opportunity to see them adapted someday. So that would be the third the third suggestion for me. Read more manga. Right. Um, so you mentioned a couple of things, and I want to get into one of them in specific first. Guardian Enzo. Hmm. Tell me, have you actually gone through any of your back catalog and watched anything that you missed on? Uh... I've tried a few things like I went and, and, and watched, uh, what was the show about the, uh, Oh God, I'm going to forget the name now. It's about the little girl who time jumps or, and ends up in a medieval time and ends up, uh, working, like going to, going to work for the church or something like that. You know, that one, um, like she, 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 she's sickly and she's always falling down and getting sick. And she ends up being friends with this kid who wants to become a merchant and it, oh oh yeah yeah i i know what you're talking about arte or something like yeah, that. yeah no no not arte but it's stuff that's like really popular <laughs> that and that and then as, as you said the um the what was the one what's the one about the uh the uh the oh the romance uh the one who keeps triggering her her death uh her death flags oh yeah the villainous one yeah yeah, yeah. and so stuff that's like really popular that i i i that's what i've kind of tried to do actually is is not so much going into the old shows that were on the bucket list because by this point honestly i've watched most of the stuff from years ago that i really wanted to see there's still some other stuff out there that if i wasn't so lazy i could i could remember it and go look but i've tried more recent stuff that's been really popular to try to jump into those shows and see if, uh, you know, ascendance of a bookworm, that's it. Ascendance of a bookworm. Um, uh, but stuff that's really popular that I didn't quite get. And maybe I was missing something. And in most cases it's turned out I've not, I just, it's just not for me, but I've tried to, (laughs) I tried to give those shows a chance and, you know, like the ascendance of a bookworm has some charm to it. And I, I got it three or four episodes worth of entertainment out of it. And the same with the villainous, um, I could see why people like it. It's amusing and it is for, for its, for its genre. It's quite good. 
but I kind of got to the point where it's like, okay, I've gotten as much out of this as it's doing for me and it's time to move on. That's really what it's been for me is, is less old shows and more newer shows that were super popular that I missed out on. And I'm like, okay, let's make sure I'm missing, not missing out on something that I loved. Uh, so those have been what I've, that I've gone to. What about yourself? So dear listeners, this is why Guardian Enzo is a much better human being than I am. Cause I did not, I've had, I have a backlog. I have a list. I should probably watch it. Uh, my brother and some of the people that I am very close to have told me and begged me to watch series. And instead of doing that, what I do is I force my preferences on them <laughs> and get them to watch stuff with me. That wow. I have watched and loved before, so I have not been very great about that. In in short, um, uh, there's there's some stuff like I think, uh, what was the reverse harem show that was that was only one core that you and a bunch of people loved? It was like uh, this shojo manga. Uh, it aired around the same time that Snow White and the Red, uh, Snow White with the Red Hair, Akagami no mm. Shirayuki, when that aired. Mm. A similar kind of art style as well. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a show that's never probably going to get a season two, which is why I refuse to watch it. I don't want to be heartbroken again. Okay. That's happened way too much with me. But yeah, there are a few big series that uh, I have been told to watch, and I just, I just can't, can't go back, man. I can't go back to, to an unknown quantity. Uh, the way I look at it is I probably passed on it for a reason, because like you, uh, I we're we're both fairly old gentlemen, um, and we've watched anime for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So I have a feeling that I between the two of us, we've seen most of the original stuff. Obviously, there's still stuff I discover every now and then. Sometimes, to your credit, uh, like Major, I had missed out on Major, and I ended up jumping into that primarily based on your recommendations on your blog, actually. Mm. So. Um, that turned out to be really good. And I also tried touch when the new sequel for that came out, but I have not looked back at the catalog that, you know, I missed out on. It's generally either series that I really like and stuff like that. And to that point, um, uh, I was not, so I, 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 when I asked you the question, I was not expecting you to actually sincerely answer with, Oh yeah, I tried some stuff and, uh, well, uh, some of it was good. Yeah, it wasn't that good. <laughs> it was okay. tolerable it was tolerable yeah 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 and i think as i grow older and have less and less time the 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 b tiers and the c tier shows that i would tolerate um like your your um your ikitosins i don't know why i look at myself and i don't know why i even watched a season or two of that like it horrifies me or like even something like sword art online which you know, I was watching for a while because, you know, it was kind of at the place where it was so bad it was good. Mm. But that kind of stuff just, like, falls to the wayside for me now. Um, I need my, like, really, really good shows or something that's, like, uniquely suited to me, like your uh, Sakura So, the Beautiful Bones mm. show or whatever or mm. something like that. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, get, I'm finding I'm a lot more pickier right now. So um, for me, I definitely did not do what you did and gave some things a fair shake. And maybe I should. Uh, people are welcome to either write in, we'll talk about that later, sure. or comment and let us know if there's something that I horribly missed 
from the last few seasons. I, I do know I tried uh, uh, Misfit of the Demon Kingdom or whatever, the, the show that's currently airing right now. And that is so hilariously bad. It's so good. Like okay. th- they're in on the joke of what they're doing. Okay. It's so over the top. It's 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 so like you know how Gurren Lagad at certain points gets really over the top? Yes, I certainly do. Yeah. So that all the time and constantly like exceeding itself in a very jokey way. That's that show. It's okay. it's an isekai show and it's very generic and it has all those generic trappings, but then it just does this over-the-top, overpowered main character that is... It's kind of like... Um, what was that show? The Eins Ulgon show. Overlord. Mm. It was like Overlord, but you know how Overlord takes itself very seriously? Okay. Uh, well, I think it, it takes itself seriously. I don't yeah, think... Yeah, I didn't watch the... more than four or five episodes, so I couldn't say for sure, but I think... I sort of get where you're coming from, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was very self-absorbed in what it, it thought of itself. Uh, this show is in on the joke. So that, I think, I wouldn't have tried if I wasn't, like, starved for anime. Yeah. And I'm glad I did because well, it's it's really funny. Okay. That's, that's, and and yeah. I have, to be fair, I have found stuff this way before. I mean, stuff that I've actually gone on to really like where people have said... Uh, you know, um, um, you know, uh, like girlish number is a good example. You remember girlish number? Uh, it was about the, the, the girl who wants to be a voice actress and her brother yes. used to be a voice actress, a voice actor. And now he's, now he's a manager. Um, right. And right. that was based on a light novel, which sort of was a strike against it for me. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, it was a show I would not normally, have given the time of day to, but a couple people recommended it. And I said, I'll give it a shot. And I ended up really quite liking that show. Um, So there has been stuff. I mean, I didn't love it, but I ended up, you know, certainly happy to finish it and enjoying enjoying it. It It was, I think in somewhere in like my 15 to 20 range, the year it came out. Um, So there, I have found stuff this way. Not usually, as you said, when I find that, my instincts are more often right than wrong. And if I sense show is not for me, there was probably a good reason why I sensed it. Um, but once in a while it does happen, you know? And so mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's like hitting a good shot on the 18th hole. Um, when you're a bad golfer, it's like, you know what, boy, if I could hit, if I could just hit it like that every time it gets you out on the golf course again. And that's kind of how it is with shows like that, where you keep, going back to the well and thinking, well, you know, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just not seeing something. Maybe I need to give more of these a try. And usually you're right. But then there's that one time where it surprises you and you say, well, geez, maybe I need to do this a little more often. Maybe I'm missing more than I realize I'm missing. So it's always nice to be surprised, isn't it? Yes. And I think the opportune thing you said there was for me. Um, I, I have, after watching it for so many years, as you have, anime i mean um i have a very good idea of what i like and what i don't like and while that does change from time to time um my tolerance level for a lot of things that i think i tolerated in the past like i tolerated harem shows a lot more or harem shows however you want to say it um uh i i can't stand them anymore like if i watched love hina today even as awesome as it was at the time, I don't think I would be able to stomach it anymore, given 
the deluge of stuff we've gotten in that genre. Yeah, so. no, no, I, I totally get that. Sometimes something is tolerable when it originally came out and it's had so many bad imitators that even mm. if you go back to the original now, it feels like one of the imitators because because the theme itself has become so omnipresent. And you, yeah, I'm burned out like anything really with Sundares uh, that or Sundares. I'm pretty much burned out. I can't watch any show that goes even Toradora, which I know people love. And I kind of tolerated it the first time because there were certain characters in that show I, I really did like, although not the not the heroine. But there were characters in that show I really liked. But I I don't think I could even watch Toradora now. I don't think I could get through it. Because she, oh, would, I she definitely would, she, couldn't. She would grade on me to the point where I would be like, "Nope, I'm I'm done. I'm out." And I'm kind of glad that Kagu, K- Kagumi Ray, yeah, Kagumi yeah, 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 yeah. She, I'm glad she's gone away from the Sundare typecasting that she was being pigeonholed in because she did Louise Toradora's main yeah, character. She does a lot a less of it now. She still does them occasionally, yes, but not but nearly it, as often. Which I'm glad for, because for a while we got like five series a yes. year with her doing that one voice. Yes, and it was it was she's a very talented voice actress. Like she plays Alphonse from uh, Full Metal Alchemist. Yeah, no, no, she, like, she's she's good in in male roles. Actually, she just she does quite well with those. She's done some of those very successfully, um, but she doesn't get and a little. So yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, she doesn't get asked to stretch very often. That's the problem. Yeah, and I think she does fine with the little girl roles too. The some like of them. the shy little girl roles that she's been doing recently. I think those work, but when she tries to that that voice, I think it, they just. I think it's not so much a her problem as it is just anime voice actor uh, or anime voice directors like typecasting her that way because that happens fairly often. Sure. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's nice to not see that anymore. Um, but I agree with you, Toradora. I don't think I would be able to watch it right now. But I will say, I can still tolerate the Sundare if it's either done tastefully, as in it's not overt and the focus of the show, or if it's a parody of itself, which is primarily what shows do these days. They just parody the the Sundare trope, which I think we're we're also getting to a point where that might be hitting critical mass. Yeah, to me, that can really only that can work, um, but it has to be done skillfully, okay? <laughs> and because it self parody only works if 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 the if the if the show doing the doing the parody is has the has the chops to pull it off. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think, I think, uh, there are some, I almost think you couldn't, I feel like we should be at that point where it, with Isekai shows now, where the only way they ever get made is if they're self parodies because oh, they're all parodies these days. You really think so? Um, most of, most of the ones I watch are, I guess, I guess. Yeah. It still feels to me like there's way too many that are playing it straight. And which to me is almost defies belief. But I, oh yeah, there's one every season that's just the generic, straight faced. The I think there was a video uh, by Gigak. I think he's a YouTuber, uh, good YouTuber, funny guy on YouTube, 
And he did one where he literally took all the main characters from these generic isekai shows and put them next to each other. And you could literally like overlap them on top of each other and they'd be the same character. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, and that, and that, that's a problem. I mean, uh, but you know, that's the thing. You, you remember when Durarara's sequel came out, uh, the Durarara season two, like seven or eight years after the first one aired and broke my heart. And I really, and I, as we, talked about Bacano. I like Bacano much better than Durara, but I quite like the first season of Durara. When I, I loved the ago. first season. But when but when the se- when the sequel came out, I was like I it totally didn't work for me. And I think part of that was so many light novel adaptations since that have have imitated Durara in format and and genre but not as well that I, my tolerance for that style had basically gone away. And Durarara felt derivative and it felt tired, even though it was the one that pioneered a lot of these tropes in the first place. So I, I agree with you on the fact that Durarara season two and three and four, because they every core was a season, um, those were really bad, but I don't think... It was because of the tropes of uh, the storytelling. Because Jirara with its like almost, I don't know if you've seen that movie Crash, which was in, I think, 2015. Oh, yes. I remember. Best Picture winner. Yeah. It, it, Jirara was the anime version of that, as far as I remember it. In that, you know, it, it would switch to a different character from a different perspective every episode. And then it would keep going back and forth from all these viewpoints. I don't think that is an overused concept with uh, with a huge cast of characters, but I do agree the story. So I covered and blogged all of Durarara um, because you know I I blogged the first series and and I was very attached to the franchise and it slowly killed the franchise for me as I went through and I wrote about it every week. It just became a a therapy session for me to just talk about how bad it was mm-hmm. and. To your point, I actually went back and watched a uh, a couple of episodes while I was reviewing it to to see, okay, am I going crazy or is this just really bad? And it turned out that the first season was a lot better because um, it would each episode would focus on one specific thing. Mm. There was always forward momentum in the plot. Characters would change and grow, and these are things that just don't happen in the sequel. And I think. It's less so, it's more of a case of, you know, the first season was really good and I really started to understand that you should be very careful what you wish for because sometimes you may get this thing that you've been really wanting, which was, I wanted a continuation to Durara for a long time. And you might find out that the, the continuation itself might just ruin the thing for you. And that's what it did. I, I finished the series and I... Do not ever want to watch another Durarara thing. I know the light novel got a sequel, but I hope to God they don't make an anime of it. And even if they do, I would not probably watch it. Fair enough. And this coming from the guy who told everybody and their dog and their cat and their, you know, their grandma to watch Durarara season one. And now I don't even do that. I'm like, I don't want people to go through that that journey of disappointment. <laughs> 
the journey of disappointment. I feel like when I write my my the the the, the my history of 2020, that that might be the name for the for the book, the journey that journey of disappointment. <laughs> oh, to 2020, I don't even. Yeah, let's let's just hope it just ends on a on a less dire note than it started. Talk and to me continue. in November. Yeah, I hear you. Oh, dude, I'm I'm in the country where where I'm. Yeah. Yeah, we'll 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 try to keep the politics. Yeah, yeah, we'll, out of we'll this keep that show. out of the conversation. Absolutely. Because oh, we could we could go on for hours about that we stuff, could. and you know everybody has their opinion. And um, with regards to opinions, even though we'll be giving a lot of them, you know, it's the same as like um, any anything that you that is unsavory. You know, everybody has a butt, but you shouldn't air it out in public, right? Yep, exactly. Okay, so I think that's that's a good a spot as any to kind of end the conversation on COVID on. We ended it okay. on butts. Okay. So I, I think we're coming out on top here. Absolutely. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Wow, you saved that so you, – you classed it up. You took Absolutely. that turd, you polished it, that's you put job, some gold baby. dust on it, and you really, really like – okay. Yeah, that that was impressive. Absolutely. That, this is, listeners, this is why Guardianzo is a much better human being than I am. Ugh, you're Take embarrassing two. me. Well, I, at least I did something right this All episode. All right, there you go. That's true. Congratulations on that. <laughs> okay, so um, I think we'll we'll wrap up the discussion here. Obviously, this this topic was a lot more interrelated with a lot of the stuff we talked about this this episode and i think that was both great but it's also something that probably won't be a trend moving forward because you know we just we've been away for a long time and uh there it was a very topical conversation and there's no way not to talk about covid as it continues to like affect us so absolutely um yeah we'll we'll switch to happier gears next week but we'll keep checking in and see how the anime industry and our lives get affected by this thing so we'll leave it at that and we'll move on to the last final section, which is. And so we come to the end of uh, this episode. And the last section we'll cover is listener questions. And since this is our first inaugural episode, you know, we won't have any user listener questions. But one question that I think anybody who's ever followed this podcast is asking. And so I'll ask that of the both of us is why did we decide to come back? It's been four years since Notaku originally launched as a YouTube YouTube channel. And so I want to talk about why we decided to come back, my perspective on it, and then also your perspective on it. So in contrast to the rest of the episode, I'll kind of go first here. Um, one of the reasons I think I started uh, the idea of uh, re- restarting this podcast is because uh, a I miss doing it, but more so than that, I'm a I'm a voracious consumer of podcasts, uh, and I and I you know I follow like YouTube videos on anime. I do obviously uh, podcasts on it as well, and there was something that I felt was missing and not available in the anime podcast space that I think I wanted to hear. And whenever I feel like I want something, I don't just go out and demand it. I try and actually do it myself if I can. 
So this is my attempt at kind of creating something in the world that I want, which is a, a more informative, more like intellectual, still kind of funny, but like intellectual podcast that kind of looks at the industry from a very like critical intellectual lens. And then also kind of like, you know, talks about the opinions and the stuff that we're used to. There's a lot of fun podcasts about anime around uh, ones that are completely about goofing off and, you know, talking with your friends and stuff like that. And I think those are very valuable, but I also kind of want to like elevate the discussion a little bit in some ways and provide like an older perspective on anime that I think there's a lot of very old, like old as in like older people that watch anime. And I think we need our own space as well, along with all the youngins, the the 20 year olds and the 15 year olds and the 18 year olds. So um, that was my primary reason I wanted, I wanted to create the podcast that I would listen to. And so um, rather than, restart this as a youtube channel because we tried to do that before um i i just jumped into uh wanting a podcast and and the reason we're we're doing not doing a youtube channel is you know something for another time but obviously youtube uh, for people who watch youtube you've heard youtubers complain about how youtube handles copyright strikes and all that stuff and i just that's that was the original reason i stopped investing the effort into doing notaku and so i don't i didn't want to get back into that and i don't think it can work in the current climate it might change at some point and we might revisit that idea but for now i think i really enjoyed having a conversation with guardian enzo and talking about a lot of the things that we're passionate about and i'm i found that i'm still passionate about anime so i want to talk about it and i think i want to talk about it uh, with both Guardian Enzo and uh, a, a bunch of like-minded listeners. So that's the intention here. Uh, and that's my three-minute rant on why I think mm. I did this. So Guardian Enzo, why did you do this? Why? Please tell us. Well, uh, I, for me, it's a couple of things. I mean, most obviously, I like to talk about anime, and I don't get that many opportunities to do it, really. Um, you know, I write about it, but writing is a solitary activity by its very nature. Um, and you know, when you're passionate, I'm still passionate about anime too. And it's nice to be able to interact with, with, you know, with people who it's fun to talk to and who have uh, an opinion, some of which are the same, some of which are different, but are, which are well thought out and well reasoned. And so it's always, it's fulfilling to be able to have those conversations again. So I'm happy for that. Uh, and I guess the other aspect of it, I would say, is there are lots of perspectives on anime that are, you know, no more or less valid than mine. But I always feel, especially now that my perspective is quite different than what you see represented in mainstream anime discussion. Uh, and especially because I think a lot of what a lot of anime discussion right now is really anime promotion and that's fine. But, uh, you know, sometimes that line between promotion and, and, uh, journalism can get a little, a little hard to, to see. Uh, and I, I think I bring something different to the anime perspective than most people in the industry do. And I like, 
I want to be an advocate for certain beliefs and certain genres and, and, and certain sets of priorities within the industry that I feel are in on the endangered list and not well represented at the moment. And I think it's good that there are people out there that still, that still make the case. And I want to be one of those people that make the case for what this, what this medium can be, uh, that it can be better than it is, that there are real and legitimate problems with it that can and should be addressed if there's a willingness to address them. And that the people who make anime should be respected and treated in a humane way that they are not for the most part being treated with right now. So while there's certainly room for people who want to talk about the most popular series that are out there, but you know, there's always plenty of people who talk about those things. Um, but if, if I want to be one of those people who talks about things that other people aren't generally talking about, um, because in a lot of cases, if I don't talk about them, nobody will. Uh, that's how I felt about some of the shows I blogged over the years. I mean, there was certainly nobody else was going to blog Genga E kickoff if I didn't do it, you know? Um, so from, so that's really where I come into it is a, just enjoying the process of having these discussions and B, you know, trying to espouse a certain approach to the medium that maybe is not getting a lot of airtime if I'm not, you know, part of the process of doing it. So that's the opportunity that this presents for me. Awesome. Awesome. And I think, yeah, so you have our perspectives. Hopefully there, there were some people who enjoyed listening to us. We've, we've updated ourselves a little bit. So we're, we're going into this podcast with like a bigger investment this time. We're serious about it. We're going to try and hit every week unless some, you know, something catastrophic happens or, you know, some personal emergency happens, but you know, our audio quality should definitely sound better now. Um, we're focusing on the audio aspect, uh, very heavily. And so I think we'll, we'll try and do that one thing really well and see where it goes. And obviously we're open to feedback. We will be interested in hearing what people have to say. Um, so if you're interested, there's, there's a couple of ways you can get questions to us that we will read in this section. One of the ways is obviously you can, uh, uh, contact us at Twitter, you know, at Setsuken or at Guardian Enzo, I believe. Yes, at Guardian Enzo. At Guardian Enzo, at Setsuken. Just tweet at us. We will uh, we will talk about your question if you ask us something that you want right on Notaku. Otherwise, um, any... Co- so we'll be releasing this podcast on a bunch of different services, all of them that we can manage. Um, and if we don't, let us know by tweeting at us. Um, so comment on any of those places there and I will go around and compile those. And then finally, um, uh, Guardian Enzo, one extra special perk for people who have been following you if you want to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I do have a Patreon. It's www.patreon.com slash Guardian Enzo. And the Patreon exists to support my website, lostinanime.com. Um, but, uh, and I'm very, very grateful to the Patreon supporters I have, but uh, I would be happy to give my Patreon supporters, uh, first access. If you want to, if you want to tag me in Patreon, 
I'm going to send out a reminder to all of my Patreon supporters. But uh, if you're a Patreon supporter, I'll make sure your questions and comments get on the air. Um, I'm happy to do that. It's the least I can do. And um, again, that's uh, patreon.com slash Guardian Enzo. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And as we go through this journey, this hopefully happy journey, we will continue to create other avenues for you guys to interact with us if you so desire. And hopefully you do desire that. Hopefully. Uh, Yeah. So that's kind of it. That's the last section. So I guess, Guardian Enzo, we can wrap up and give our final thoughts for this episode. I just want to say I was super glad to get to do uh, get back to this. It's something you and I have discussed over the years since our huge hiatus, our four-year hiatus of wanting to start up. And so I'm glad we're finally doing it again. And I am excited to do it every week and keep it going for as long as we can. Me too. I'm happy to be back and excited to be working with you again and grateful to you for being the really the driver behind this and doing most of the heavy lifting behind the scenes um, and looking forward to many interesting conversations and especially to many interesting interactions with our listeners in the future. Awesome. So the last thing I'll talk about is uh, you can find me, Satsukin, on Twitter at at Satsukin. You can also go to anime-evo.net. And over there, I'll be blogging uh, ReZero and a couple of other series this season. You can go watch that. And then Guardian Enzo, where can people find your work? They can find me on Twitter at Guardian Enzo. Uh, they can find me on my website, uh, lostinanime.com. And uh, I'm blogging some stuff right now. Uh, Not a lot this season for obvious reasons, but uh, stuff like Fruits Basket and uh, Fugo KG Balance Unlimited. And um, of course, Major Second, Great Pretender when Netflix brings it back. And uh, a couple of my old favorites, as I talked about earlier, Seire no Morabito and Gurren Lagann. Awesome. And with that, we will bid you adieu. I do. See you guys next time. And Guardian Enzo will be uh, hosting next week. So wait, what? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. I'll okay. I'll I'll, I'll figure <laughs> something out. I'll figure something out. <laughs> yeah, scared him there, but yeah, we'll we'll alternate. So see you guys next week. I won't be in the host chair that time, so maybe things will be better. Mm, a, lot, a lot of pressure. Stay frosty. Okay. Yep. Take care, guys. See you next time.